1: Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host Karen Litzy, And on today's episode, I am so happy to welcome to the podcast Andrew Tarvin. He is the world's first humor engineer teaching people how to get better results while having more fun. Combining his background as a project manager at Procter and Gamble, with his experience as a stand-up comedian, he reverse engineers the skill of humor in a way that is practical, actionable, and gets results in the workplace. Through his company, Humor That Works, Drew has worked with more than 35,000 people at over 250 organizations, including Microsoft, the FBI, and the International Association of Canine Professionals. He is a best-selling author, has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, and Fast Company, and his TEDx talk has been viewed more than 4 million times. He loves the color orange, is obsessed with chocolate, and can solve a Rubik's Cube, but it takes like seven minutes, and I think we talked about that during the episode. For more information, please visit DrewTarvin.com and connect with Drew, which is at Drew Tarvin, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Humor That Works is his book, and it's available on Amazon and wherever fine and funny books are sold. So I really want to thank uh, Andrew for coming on. And of course, if you didn't get all those links, you can go to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com, and all the links are one click away. So on this episode... We talk about how to construct humor and learn the skill of humor, the benefits of humor for the individual and the organization, types of humor that are appropriate for the workplace, because let's face it, there are a lot of types of humor that are not the importance of the yes and mindset. So if you've ever taken an improv course, you know what that means, but we talk about that into a little more detail. So I just want to again thank Andrew for coming on to the podcast and everyone please enjoy today's episode on humor. Hi, Andrew. Welcome to the podcast. I am happy to have you on.
0: I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Of course. And now today we're going to be talking about humor and why humor is important in the workplace and in life. So the first question I have is, you say humor is a skill. So how is it a skill and can that really be learned by anyone?
0: Uh, yeah, I think that I think a lot of people have this this question or this belief, like, you know, humor is just an innate ability, right? You're either funny or you're not. Uh, and uh, I will say that I've done over a 1000 shows as a stand up comedian and spoken word artist, storyteller, etc. Uh, I have spoken and performed in all 50 states in 25 countries and on one planet, uh, this one. Uh, but when I went to my high school reunion, and people found out that I did comedy, they're like, but you're not funny. Uh, And that's because, you know, growing up, I was never the life of the party or the class clown. Uh, My senior year, I was voted teacher's pet. Yeah, so much more of an academic, much more quiet, you know, I'm I'm very much an introvert. And uh, then I started doing improv and stand up in college, and admittedly was terrible when I first started out. Uh, like we often are in a new skill that we try, but with practice and repetition, I got better. And so I realized that, you know, really there, there's an art and science to humor. And so what we do with our organization with Humor That Works is we teach people the science. So we teach things like comedic structure, things like a comic triple, things like timing and understanding how to like position things in different, you know, strategies that humorists use between say association or incongruity or uh, story, etc all this kind of science stuff that's easy to, you know, that's conceptually you can learn. And then there's an art, there is an art piece to it, right? There is, you know, something that comes from your own perspective, the thing that you like and that you improve with, with practice and repetition. And so what we say is, you know, with the skill of humor, we can help to teach anyone to be funny, er. not necessarily, you know, across the board funny. It's not like, you know, you can magically teach someone to to be so funny. They're going to magically have a Netflix comedy special, but you can learn certain things that are going to take whatever your base level of you know ability to use humor is now and take it up to the, the next level.
1: Okay, so let's break this down a little bit because mm-hmm. I know the listeners love to get these little nuggets of knowledge that we can start applying today in mm-hmm. our life and in our workplace. So you said that with your company that you can teach people what is comic structure and timing. So can you... First, tell me, because I don't even know the answer to this question, but what is comic structure?
0: Yeah, so there's certain things that, you know, there's, there's certain ways that you can structure a sentence or a joke that uh, make it more effective. So uh, one of the big things is, is learning to put the funny part of the punchline of something at the end. Uh, so a great example of this is I think it's a George Burns quote that says uh, happiness is having a caring, uh, close, tight knit family in another city, right? Which I think is a pretty funny, you know, a humorous mm-hmm. line. Mm-hmm. Uh, that line doesn't work if you say uh, happiness is having a family in another city who is in another city who's carrying uh, close and tight knit, mm-hmm. right? So you put the funny part, the unexpected, the surprise piece at the end, right? So that's just a simple structure thing. It's, it's kind of the structure of setup and punchline. Uh, another example of that is uh, something called a comic triple, uh, and so a comic triple is anytime when you have a list of three things, the third item is something unexpected. So uh, for example, when I give my, you know, when I'm talking about some of the clients that we've worked with, we'll say, uh, you know, uh, we've worked with organizations such as Microsoft, the FBI, and the International Association of Canine Professionals. Uh, and so that last one is just something different, something unexpected where it's like, okay, Microsoft. Oh, okay. Corporate FBI. Oh, that's kind of interesting. They seem serious. That's kind of cool. International association of canine professionals. What does mm-hmm. that mean? Right. So, it, and again, we put that at the end. So simple things like structure are things that, you know, kind of anyone can learn. And that's a, a starting point. The other thing that's kind of important to understand, maybe not necessarily specifically about comedic structure, but about the skill of humor is that humor is more broad than comedy. So a lot of times when we think of humor, we do think of comedy. We think of funny. We think of laughter. We think of jokes. Uh, But humor is defined as a comic, absurd, or incongruous quality causing amusement. So it could be a joke, or it could be just something a little bit silly or something a little bit different that you do that doesn't necessarily make someone laugh, but maybe it makes them smile. And that broader definition means that you know, maybe you're not a great joke teller, but maybe you're good at telling stories or maybe you're not good at storytellings or jokes, but you're really good at drawing uh, interesting visuals that will get people to pay attention, right? So that's that's part of what we mean by uh, this skill.
1: Got it. And what about timing? How do you teach timing?
0: It's, it's, it's a very tough one. It can be a tough one to do, but that's, that's where the practice and repetition comes from. Because even as stand-up comedians, like... You know Seinfeld or uh, Ellen or that kind of thing. When they're doing new special, when they're doing new materials, they have to get it in front of people to see. Okay, where do people actually laugh, and how long of a pause should I have? Because sometimes the the difference between getting a big laugh and no laugh at all is how long you pause or how long you allow someone to to get something. So one example within timing is a lot of times when people are first starting out with humor, they'll say something that's actually pretty funny. Um, And they'll leave a brief pause and then they'll start talking again right away. And this is something called stepping on your laughter is if someone starts to kind of laugh, but then you start talking again, people will stop laughing. They'll shut down the laughter response because they want to hear what you say next. And so sometimes one of the hardest parts as a brand new comedian to learn is sometimes you have to be quiet a little bit longer because it takes the audience a second to actually get the joke to then process that it is a joke, process that it is funny, and then start to laugh. And that, you know, you need to be comfortable kind of in that short silence to allow them to then laugh and then also to not talk while they're laughing so that uh, they kind of finish that laughter out as opposed to stopping it short.
1: And I would imagine if you're up on stage and you're, you know, telling the story or joke, that time from the end of you finishing your sentence to a little maybe pause to laughter building must feel like it's an hour
0: yeah it can feel like a really really long time especially as you if you do a certain joke over and over again or one that you know that works because as you once you think about it you're like oh that's funny i want to share that you've already thought about and processed why it's funny and Mm -hmm. so you're like oh if they don't get it immediately they must not think it's funny and it's no it's it's they've never heard that construction of those ideas together before so for example, I I love puns and wordplay, and I recently tweeted out, um, you know, that I'm uh, a pale person. The only time I get tan is when I do trigonometry, and that joke, particularly when said verbally, is mm-hmm. it's talking about get tan. So tan being short for tangent. Um,
1: oh, okay, yeah. I get it.
0: Exactly. Uh, so the only time I get there um, is, you know, it takes a while, it takes a, a moment for people to be like, wait, why is that funny? Is that a joke that doesn't, you know, what is what is, you know, the sunlight have to do with trigonometry? Oh, wait, tangent, there was like cosine, sine and tangent. Yeah. like, yeah, so it takes time for that to happen. Got it. And um, You have to get comfortable kind of in that silence. The other thing to, to recognize, though, is that's that's true specifically of uh, kind of planned humor. Things like conversational humor, they -hmm. don't necessarily, one, you may not have, it might not be a pre-planned thing, but even conversational humor is something that can be learned and something that can be practiced through, you know, drawing on some principles from improvisation.
1: Right. So now I actually took um, a number of improv classes to help me with the podcast, Mm -hmm. to help me, like you said, just carry on a better conversation and to yes and and all of that. So can you talk a little bit about improvisation and how that can help with general conversations, especially, let's say, at work?
0: Yeah. So uh, you kind of mentioned the the fundamental mindset of improvisation, the key that really helps with a lot of that, and that is the mentality of yes and, uh, where yes and is really about kind of taking whatever was offered and building off of it. And so that can be fantastic for conversations. In fact, if you're ever in a conversation and you don't know what to say next, you can just simply, yes. And the last thing that was said. So like you can even take, you know, the stereotypical small talk example of uh, how, how about this weather? Right. Um, So I'm in New York. um, It's sunny. It's 85 degrees. Someone asked me how about this weather? If I'm say at a networking event, right. Or say one-on-one with a client, how about this weather? I can be like, yes, it's, 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 uh, beautiful out, it's, it's sunny out now, you know, if you weren't at this meeting, if we weren't interacting right now, how would you be out enjoying, you know, 90 degree weather, right, and then so that mm-hmm. gives them a chance to be like, oh, well, you know, I'd go swimming because it's hot out, or I'd stay indoors because it's too hot, or I'd, I'd go out on the bike, you know, and that turns a conversation that was about weather into something more interesting about, like, in getting to know that person in terms of things like their hobby
1: that's great i love that cuz that networking and going to those kinds of events is always so daunting and especially as an entrepreneur or a small business owner you kind of have to do those things
0: yeah like so 70% a of
1: jobs
0: yeah 70% of jobs are found through networking and and to your point entrepreneurs it's it's very, it's, it's a way that a lot of people drum up business and I learned that pretty early on as an, as an introvert, you know, going to networking meetings, like you said, is daunting. It's a little bit awkward. And so for me, I developed a, a three-step process for, for being able to network with people. And that yes and piece is the third step, is how you continue the conversation, is just to continue to build off of what we've said.
1: Nice. What's step one and two? Uh,
0: step one is to ask uh, interesting questions and so you know if we think about dale carnegie and how to win friends and influence people you know great quintessential business Mm -hmm. book uh he said that you will get uh you'll make more friends in a month by getting people interested by being interested in other people than you will in an entire year in trying to get people interested in you and so what that translates into is basically getting other people to talk and then shutting up right Mm -hmm. and then listening to them and um but, you know, if we go to a networking event and we have the same kind of boring questions, the same, uh, you know, what do you do type questions and at least the same boring answers. And, and that's not distinguishable. That doesn't stand out to anyone. And so instead, if you, if you ask more interesting questions, so simple questions like, you know, what's the coolest thing that you've worked on in the last three months? That a lot of times people will end up answering the question of what do you do, right? They'll say, oh, when I was working at blank. Um, But it it gets them to think a little bit differently. It gives them a more interesting response and you can actually kind of Connect a little bit closer and that's an example of something that's a little bit incongruous So maybe it's not laugh out loud funny But it is something a little bit different that maybe gets people to to smile a little bit more at least thinking a little bit differently So that's step one is to to ask interesting questions the uh, second step is to tell uh, compelling stories So when someone asks you a question, right, sometimes we hear this advice of like, oh, you got to ask people questions. That's how you build rapport. Uh, But if all you ever do is ask them questions and never answer anything that they say, it starts to feel like a weird interrogation or like, why is this person being so closed off? Right, Uh, right. And so when someone asks you a question, rather than just giving a yes or no answer, you can give a little bit of a story or a little bit of a background. So if they're asking, you know, why did you get into Uh, you know, healthcare, why did you get into physical therapy? Or why did you you know, rather than just being like, Oh, it was fun. Like, you know, Oh, growing up, I always felt like this, or I was an app, like just giving that background Mm -hmm. allows people to connect with those ideas. And maybe they don't connect with physical therapy. But if you're like, Oh, well, growing up when I used to play soccer, I felt like this. And then onto the next thing people are like, Oh, I played soccer as well. And now you've created a connecting point with this person through a shared interest or a shared commonality. That's
1: great. Thank you. Those are great tips. And finally, finishing up, like you said, using the yes and to continue that conversation is great. Now, since you brought up healthcare and physical therapy, a lot of the audience um, are in those professions. So sometimes humor in that workplace can be a little difficult because there are times where we have to be pretty serious. So, can you kind of talk a little bit about how? using humor at work can even work when we have to, you know, sometimes give bad news.
0: Right. I think, I think you raise a, a great point. And this is something I, I think for, for all professions to, to recognize with humor is that it's simply another tool in the, the tool belt in the sense that it's not something that you're going to use all the time, one hundred, you know, 24-7 uh, in everything that you do. It's, it's true that there are times that humor may be inappropriate. And uh, one of the ways that we can avoid inappropriate humor is by following what we call a humor map. And the map stands for your medium, your audience, and your purpose. So your medium is how are you going to execute that humor? Is it in an email? Is it in a one-on-one consultation or conversation? Um, Is it in a phone call? Is it in a presentation to a bunch of people? Um, Because that medium impacts the, the message, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the second piece is the audience and who, you know, who is the audience? What do they know? What do they need? And what do they expect? Because when you're using humor and say communication, you probably, or you do want to deliver on what that person needs while doing it maybe in a way that they don't just 100% expect by adding a little bit of something different can add, be that humor component. The other thing is also understanding your relationship with that person, because mm-hmm. you know, something that you, if you have a client that you're meeting for the very first time, that's going to be very different than the humor that you might use with the client that you've been working with for 15 years, right? Cause you've course. gotten to know other a little bit better. Yeah. And then the final piece is the purpose. Why are you using humor? And this is the most important one. This is why as an engineer, I like it because humor can be effective in using or achieving certain goals. So you could use humor as a way to get people to pay attention, or maybe you use humor as a way to build a relationship with someone to build rapport. Right. If you're meeting a client or if you're just now starting to work with someone, you can find a way for you to both laugh together. You kind of show that you're standing on the same side. And then after you've built that rapport, then if you have to give more serious news, that's that might be when you become a little bit more serious or a little Mm -hmm. bit more somber or whatever. Right. So, again, it's just recognizing that it is it's a tool. It helps us achieve certain goals and that when we have those as goals, it might be the appropriate tool to use.
1: Great. I love it. And I like that acronym of the humor map. That's really easy to remember. Yeah. What, what is the type of humor one should kind of stay away from in the workplace?
0: Uh, I think that's a, a great question. So to give a little bit of additional context, um, uh, psychologist Rod A. Martin defined four styles of humor. Um, he said, in general, humor kind of falls in these four buckets. The first bucket is affiliative humor. And this is positive, inclusive humor. This is, uh, to me, I think of like Ellen DeGeneres. Mm. Like her style of humor, her TV show, it's very positive, upbeat. Everyone is included. Uh, There is no target. It's not aggressive. It's not calling anyone out. Uh, It's things like team building events in the corporate world or activities that you maybe do with your clients or your patients, Uh, right? It's positive and inclusive. Everyone is included. Uh, The second style is self-enhancing humor. And this is uh, humor where the target is kind of yourself, but it's positive in nature. Uh, to me, it's kind of best summed up by, there's a great Kurt Vonnegut quote that says, laughter and tears are both responses to frustration. Mm-hmm. I myself prefer to laugh because there's less cleaning up to do afterwards.
1: Hmm.
0: Right? It's that idea mm-hmm. of like when we're thinking about the challenges or the hardships that we have to go through day to day, uh, it's finding the humor in them so that you laugh about them instead of cry about them. Uh, So that's another great form of humor and that's that's kind of like, uh, you know, finding ways to make your own work more fun. It's, you know, listening to music when you have to go through email or, you know, rocking out to a song and you're in the car on the way home or, you know, these small examples of things that are just improving your life day to day. Uh, Third style is self-defeating humor. Self-defeating humor is a negative form of humor where the target is yourself uh and so this is you know Rodney Dangerfield I get no respect it's mm-hmm. kind of poking fun at yourself and this can be a great form of humor when used one in a high status position so if you are a presenter that sometimes adds a little bit of status to it or if you're the the boss or the CEO uh as a way to reduce status differentials can be very good uh and it's u- best used when sparingly so like you don't want to use it as every single joke that you do but every now and then on occasion Uh, And that can be a good form in many ways. But if it's used too much, then people start to think like, oh, this person isn't confident, or they're not actually good at what they do. Or, you know, they're throwing a pity party. And I don't know if I laugh or not. So uh, there's some limitations to that one. And then finally, there is aggressive humor. And aggressive humor is a negative form of humor where the target is someone else. Mm. And you're doing it to try to manipulate them or try to make fun of them or that kind of thing. And so uh, that tends to, to not be appropriate in the workplace it includes things like sarcasm and satire which mm-hmm. can be okay in a group setting where you're all very comfortable with it with each other and it can be a very good form of catharsis so I know a lot of uh, uh, like say doctors surgeons we do some work with emergency first responders uh, they sometimes have a, a dark sense of humor as a group uh, because it You know, serves as catharsis. They see so many stressful, so many crazy things that they need some outlet to relieve that stress. And so that type of humor can be helpful there. But again, only when it's a very close knit group, when the relationships are kind of already formed Mm -hmm. uh, and you know that it's going to be seen as catharsis and not seen as aggressive or mean.
1: Yeah. And I think we've all been in those situations where you're just sitting there and it's like awkward.
0: Mm hmm. Like exactly.
1: this, this did not fall the way that the person intended it to.
0: Yeah. And that's why, you know, if you stick to the other three forms a lot mm-hmm. more, you're going to be, it's going to be a lot better. And, and that's the, the other is Again, we're, we're not trying to teach people how to use humor to become stand-up comedians because yes, absolutely tons of comedians or tons of comedy shows. You'll see a lot of sarcasm, a lot of satire, a lot of aggressive humor. Um, but that's not our goal. Our goal is using humor so that we get better results.
1: And so let's talk, uh, that was my next question. You just led me right into it. Um, so let's talk about results. What kind of benefits can, let's say, myself as an entrepreneur or within an organization um, get from humor at work?
0: As, uh, it's a great question. And as individuals, there are 30 benefits, at least that we found, 30 plus benefits uh, from using humor in the workplace that are all backed by research case studies and real world examples. And so they range from ways to improve your communication skill as a way to, you know, for example, if you use a little bit of in, incongruity, you get people to pay attention a little bit more. So like, oh, I'm, that person just made me laugh. That's a little bit different than what I was expecting. Now I'm listening and paying attention, uh, to helping with creativity Uh, In fact, uh, in one study, they found that kids who watch a 30-minute comedy video before trying to solve a problem, they were nearly four times more likely to solve that problem than kids who watched either a math video or no video at all. So we can use humor as a way to kind of just warm up the brain to be able to think about things a little bit differently, give ourselves a different perspective. Uh, We can use it for things like relieving stress. So we know that you know stress by itself is not a bad thing, right? (laughs) As a physical therapist, you know that you have to stress muscles to some extent in order to get them to grow. That's what we're doing when we're working out is we're breaking down muscles, but then they grow when we rest and we fuel them. And the, the body, our capacity for being able to do work is the same thing. We can stress, you know, we need a little bit of stress to sometimes get to that next level in terms of productivity. But if we never relieve that stress, that's when we see an increase in blood pressure, an increase in muscle tension, a decrease in the immune system. Mm -hmm. Well, humor can help counteract those things. When we take a break to actually laugh, we increase oxygen flow through our body, we uh, relax our muscles, and we uh, boost our immune system as well. So we can use it for things like that as well.
1: Awesome. Well, they are all really great benefits, especially to use at work. And now, these are, like I said, these are all great benefits. So why don't people, why is this not being implemented more? Why aren't more people quote unquote funny at work? And I know that's not the right term, but I think that's what people think, right?
0: Right, yeah. And, I, and what we say kind of with, with humor in the workplace is the goal isn't necessarily to be to make the workplace funny, but it is to make things a little bit more fun. And you ask a very, I think, important question to say, okay, why don't people use humor more and we we wanted to know the answer to that. So we ran a study through our site and we found that the number one reason why people didn't use humor in the workplace is they said that they didn't think that their boss or coworkers would approve. Interesting. Yeah. I can see
1: that. Yeah, I can totally see that.
0: Right? Yeah. Because if you work in a culture and no one's really laughing or smiling all that much, then you're kind of like, oh, I guess it's not welcome. I guess it's not what mm-hmm. we do here. It's a, you know, a quote unquote serious workplace. And the reality is that 98% of CEOs prefer job candidates with the sense of humor and 81% of employees said a fun workplace would make them more productive. So I think people actually want it. It's just that we're, we're still stuck sometimes in this old mentality that work has to feel like work and we don't recognize that, well, we're human beings and, and humor is an effective way to reach human beings. And so if we want to be more effective in what we do, we have this tool that we can use. And I think specifically for entrepreneurs and and leaders of others or team leads and stuff, That's it's an important thing to recognize is that if you're the leader of a team or an organization and people don't constantly laugh or people don't kind of have that sense of humor, it doesn't seem like, you might be part of the reason why. And it's probably not intentional, right? You probably like haven't gone out to be like, all right, let me squash any remote modicum of fun that happens every single day. Mm -hmm. But if you don't use it yourself as a leader, if you don't encourage it, if you never laugh or smile in the workplace, if you never kind of express some humor or share a little bit more about yourself, people will kind of take whatever the leader does and say, this must be how we have to act.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, things trickle down from the top. There's no, no question. Um, it, it makes me, as you were saying that, the thing that came to my mind was the movie *The Devil Wears Prada*, mm-hmm. <laughs> and Meryl Streep's character, who was just—I don't think she cracked a smile, mm-hmm. except like the very end of the film—and you can just sense the tension among everyone that worked below her.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly, and I think we, I think we need more, we need more metaphors to the movie Devil Wears Prada*. Um, so I'm happy that we've gotten there um, for this, but I think you're exactly right. How people, uh, how the managers behave does tend to set the tone. And, but with that being said, one of the things that, you know, I'm a big believer in is that, uh, you are responsible for your own happiness.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so even if you do work for an organization or you do work for a manager or leader who doesn't really use humor, I think that it's still up to you. You choose how you do your work every single day. And, and it's not really the responsibility of your manager or your coworkers or your patients or clients or customers to make sure that you're having fun, right? That's an individual choice mm-hmm. that you make. And, and hopefully they don't detract from that. But even at a minimum, like they can't control how you think, right? One of the right. things that I like to do when uh, getting bored in emails is that I'll start to read each of the emails in a different accent in my head. Uh, And this is something kind of fun something a little bit different to do and no one can stop me from doing that right Mm -hmm. No manager could come up and be like, hey, you're reading emails in an accent in your head. Stop it
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally and and what about so when you go into these companies you go into Microsoft or in working with the government What how do you enter into those situations? to kind of explain to them that using humor in the workplace is important because I would have to think you you have had to encounter some hard nuts to crack.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and conveying the value of humor is is a little bit of a challenge because you know no one no one really thinks of humor as a bad thing. They typically don't. They, they think of it as kind of a nice to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to me, it's a, it's a must have. If you just look at kind of the statistics, if you look at the numbers. You know, 83% of Americans are stressed out at work. 55% are unsatisfied with their jobs, and 47% struggle to stay happy. Mm. Uh, leads to 70% of the workforce being disengaged, and the, and Gallup has estimated that's a cost on the U.S. economy of about 500 billion dollars in lost. Wow,
1: with a B. Year.
0: with a B. That's billion with a B. Yeah. If you do the math of that, that's uh, you know you take the number of employees and all that. It's an average of about four thousand six hundred seventy-two dollars. Uh, or $4,638, I think, um, mm-hmm. and lost productivity. And so then when you're starting to talk with people, so if you're talking with Microsoft or other organizations and saying, hey, if you know, 70% of your workforce is disengaged and each one costs you $4,700, now they start to see like, oh, okay, there's actual it. numerical losses here. Because yeah. if you look at the, the benefits of using humor, we talked about some on the individual level. When an organization uses humor. You see an increase and in you want create a more positive workplace culture. You see an increase in employee engagement. You see an increase in company loyalty. You see a decrease in, um, uh, turnover, uh, and uh, in a lot of organizations, you also see an increase in overall profit. And so when I'm talking with organizations, it's talking about the business benefit of it. It's, it's recognizing that, you know, well, as a, as a gross simplification of it, uh, I have a dumb question for you, uh, mm-hmm. but I still want you to kind of answer it, mm-hmm. but uh, would you rather do something that is fun or not fun? Uh, fun. Right? Yeah. You'd rather do yeah. something fun. So if you were to make your work a little bit more fun, probably stands the reason that you might be a little bit more engaged in it. Or if you were to make your kind of conversations with your patients or your clients a little bit more fun you might see that they might be a little bit more willing to actually want to go to them or pay Mm. attention in them, right? Right, or
1: come back to you.
0: Yeah, or come back, exactly, right? So that's a big part of when you consistently use humor, that's when people are like, oh, they actually look forward to that meeting. They maybe know that it's going to be hard or they know that, you know, they're going to have to do some work, but they're like, at least it's not going to be terribly boring. At least it's not going to be awful. Uh, and that's that fun component. And so that's kind of the, the, the higher level. And then we have a a bunch of studies and a bunch of background to kind of back all those things up. But that's been the messaging is like, this is, again, it's not about let's all hold hands, kumbaya, you know, we should all enjoy our work just because we're happy go lucky. It's more of here's a strategic use of a tool that will get you better results. And here's all the research that says that it has done that
1: and when when we're talking about humor in the workplace it it doesn't mean like your boss coming out and doing a stand up bit every morning
0: exactly yeah right, right? That's, it's more about making it a little bit more fun it's more about yeah. bringing the your humanness to work right and mm-hmm. this is one of the, one of the things that I'll I'll share with my my corporate audience is you know I'll say to an entire room full of people is uh, I'll be like, you know what, my guess is that many of you, and this is probably true of your listeners as well, many of you are likable people at home, mm-hmm. right? And then they go into the workplace and something changes, right? At home, they they laugh with their friends, they smile, they make jokes, they um, are conversational, et cetera, maybe a little bit silly, you know, maybe they uh, sing in the shower, they dance in the kitchen, whatever. And then they go into the workplace and something changes. They put on a work face and they feel like they have to be like a robot with no emotions or anything like that. And and that's not effective for the way that we work today. Maybe that made sense in the, the industrial revolution, where it was all about efficiency and the most widgets that you could produce. But now when human interactions are important, now when your emotions impact your ability to be say creative or productive, we have to manage the human experience and humor is just one of, One effective way to do that.
1: And so, if I'm if I'm hearing you correctly, when we're talking about bringing humor into the workplace, it's really about being kind of open and trying to be a little bit more yourself, and perhaps letting your guard down a little bit to allow yourself to be present and to, like you said, be funny or to not be so serious all the time, or to, you know, have more conversations where you're injecting your personality. Because I, I do think most people have funny things to say mm-hmm. in conversation. We're not all like Debbie Downers.
0: Yeah, um, I agree.
1: And so is, is that kind of what you're teaching when you're going in and talking about humor outside of you know, how you talked in the beginning about timing and about the comic triple and having those unexpected things at the end of your sentences or punchlines, if you will. So you're kind of teaching these tools, but in the end, as the worker or as the company, it's sort of about changing the culture.
0: It is, yeah. I think that's a great articulation of it. So the in the book, we had a book that just recently um, came out and it's called Humor That Works, The Missing Skill for Success and Happiness. At work, and in it, you know, we talk about ten humor strategies for using humor in the workplace across five different kind of key skills at work. And so, if you want to use humor to improve your productivity, uh, you know, you can gamify your work or play your work. And here are the steps how to do that. Or, or if you want to use humor and uh, connecting with people, here's a way to, you know, kind of the three step process we mentioned earlier about, mm-hmm. communication, and that's a way to build empathy with someone. But at the end of the day, the bonus strategy, and I think kind of what articulates what you're talking about it's the biggest thing that we encourage the biggest takeaway. And I would say the same is true of your podcast listeners is to simply think one smile per hour. Mm. You know, what's one thing that you can do each hour of the day that brings a smile either to your face or the face of someone else. And so that could mean, Hey, if you like telling jokes and you want to learn more of them and you have that, you know, like you like that witty kind of feeling great, do that. Um, If instead you're about to, you know, get in traffic, And, um, you know, like, how can I bring a smile to my own face? Like, oh, well, let me maybe listen to a comedy podcast on my way home from work so that I laugh and show up more present for my family when I get there. Right. These are all just small choices. And to your point, I think everyone, everyone has a sense of humor. I think it might be a very specific sense of humor and sometimes Mm -hmm. you don't always see it, but I think everyone has one. And so it's like, okay, how can you leverage your sense of humor to, Bring that smile to the workplace and the other thing is is to recognize that you don't always have to be the creator of humor Instead you can be kind of the the conduit of it or the shepherd of it where you know You don't have to be the one that makes the funny jokes maybe you find one online and you add it as a PS after the end of a long email or You find images online using a Creative Commons license and have that in your presentation as opposed to having a bunch of slides with just full of text Uh, Mm -hmm. Maybe you watch a a TEDx talk that you think is really, really good that you really like, and you like you share that with people to say, "Hey, you know, let's try to incorporate this type of thing a little bit more." So you don't always have to be the creator of it, but you can be that source of it, that shepherd of it.
1: Yeah, uh, great advice. Thank you so much. That really helps to kind of break it down in my mind, and I would assume in the listeners' minds as well. And you know, before I have one more question that I ask everyone, but. Before I do that, you had mentioned TEDx, and I do want to mention that you had a great TEDx talk that's been viewed millions of times. Um, I watched it. I loved it. Where can people find that talk?
0: Uh, yeah, so they can find it if they just uh, Google my name, Andrew Tarvin TEDx, it'll show up, or they, they Google uh, Skill of Humor TEDx. It's on the official you know, TEDx YouTube uh-huh. channel. Um, if you just Google my name, it's one of the first things that comes up, and you can hear a, a fantastic story about my... Um, grandmother, and we go Mm -hmm. into that talk. It's so funny. uh, It goes into a little bit of that deeper dive of the skill of humor. And for me, yeah, that can be a great starting point for people. And I know plenty of people have used that as a thing that they share out where they're like, Mm -hmm. hey, you know, I want to incorporate more humor into the workplace. People don't necessarily necessarily know why. So let me send this out to my team and say, hey, this was a funny talk that I really like. Maybe it should encourage us to have a little bit more fun in what we do.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was a great talk and it was funny. And that bit with your grandmother is <laughs> classic, classic grandma, um, classic grandma stuff. Mm-hmm. So, e- everyone listening, definitely check out the TEDx. It's really great. Mm-hmm. And, like I said, um, before I finish, I usually like to ask everyone the same question, and that's knowing where you are now in your life and your career, what advice would you give to yourself as a new grad?
0: a brand new grad uh two Fresh things, yeah two things kind of come to mind the first uh is more tactical and i would say do stand-up comedy uh earlier mm. more frequently uh just because one i love stand-up i love doing stand-up it's it's i think one of the hardest forms of public speaking you'll ever do and yeah, i would
1: never be able to do it right. i give i give you all the credit in the world
0: uh, well, one, you absolutely could do it. If I could do it, anyone. Yeah. Can do it. Um, it, but it is intimidating, but it's made me much, much better as a speaker. In fact, the, I think the reason that the TEDx talk has been successful is because I did a lot of stand up before it to, to work on it, to practice it, to try jokes. And it's where I've refined, you know, my my sense and my skill of humor. So I'd say do that, you know, first. Uh, and then I think the other thing would be get more clear on the articulating the value of humor. It took me a while kind of to your point to, you know, why do, why do companies hire this? At first I was like, no, humor is just a brilliant idea. Shouldn't everyone see that? And the reality is that no one cares about humor in the workplace. Uh, like in terms of they never think of it as something that they need. Mm-hmm. Instead, they know that they need communication training or leadership training, or they know that they need to improve morale, or they know that they need to help people relieve stress it just turns out that humor can be the tool to do a lot of those things. So getting more clear on how humor can be beneficial I think would have helped my personal career uh, a little bit more and would have gotten me out to to sharing this this message with more people sooner.
1: Great. I love it. And I don't know that I would ever do stand up, but you're making me consider it. Like even <laughs> I when I took even when I took improv classes i had like an improv teacher come to my apartment cuz i was too <laughs> nervous to go to a class because i didn't want to screw up
0: yeah but, but here's the thing though is you you just rock this this podcast and plenty of other ones in the future that's all improv as well
1: i know that's why i took the class mm-hmm. <laughs> but i don't know there's something about being i don't know it's a fear i should probably i'm working on my public speaking i've been working on that for the past year but yeah, I think taking an improv class in front of actual people and with other actual people would probably only benefit me. But it's just so darn scary.
0: It is. That's why you have to you have to leverage that one like that one evening that you like have that like you know what I should do it and then you sign up real quick and then force yourself to like go. And I and the only reason why I say that is is because I'm a big believer. Improv has fundamentally changed my life. Because mm-hmm, I as did. I mentioned, I, you know, very, very much was an introvert and everything growing up. And that's how I kind of got into this. And so this it's I'm a strong believer that anyone listening, you know, if they have the capacity, if they have any slight interest in it, uh, I think should take an improv class because it teaches you life skills. In fact, one of the most popular uh, blog posts that we have on our website is 10 Life Lessons from Improv. Because there's so much application it teaches you the human skills to interact with other people on ways to be more present, to think on your feet, to be able to react, react uh, quickly, to build your communication skills and your confidence. Like, there's tremendous number of benefits. And once you get used to it, it's so much fun to do. All
1: right. I'll, I'll think about it. Next time UCB has like a 101 class, mm-hmm. granted, that's Upright Citizens Brigade. For those who aren't, I guess, in New York, they may not know that. Um, I, if I can make the cut cause those classes fill up in about five minutes, um, but maybe I will do it this time. We'll, we will see. And now <laughs> you mentioned your blog, where can people find you?
0: Yeah. So if they're interested more in humor, the, uh, humor in the workplace, if they go to humor that we have a bunch of, you know, blog posts out there about different t- topics on humor. There's a free newsletter to sign up to. There's a link to our, our new book. Uh, that has a lot of, uh, resources there as well. Uh, information about our workshops and coaching all that kind of stuff uh if they want to connect with me directly uh they can find me at drew tarvin d-r-e-w-t-a-r-v victor i-n on all social media so whether that's linkedin instagram facebook twitter uh recently discovered i still have a myspace page what Uh, so if myspace is your jam uh then you can connect with me there as well
1: that's amazing um Well, thank you so much, Andrew, for coming on and sharing all of this uh, great information on how to use humor in the workplace. Um, So thank you so much.
0: All right. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much for having me. And hopefully this was valuable for uh, for the listeners.
1: I'm sure it was. And everyone out there listening, thanks so much. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.